thank you that we're able to be in your presence. We thank you that you have said that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you're there. And you've also told us that you have given us as a gift, the Holy Spirit. So now we ask you to work by your spirit, through your word, to guide us into truth. Help us, we pray, uh, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we ask these mercies in Jesus' name, amen. It happened again this week. A truck drove out onto Green Bay and fell through the ice. And so the Oconto uh, rescue team sent out a fire truck and an ambulance and a six-wheeler. They were able to get out on the ice, rescue the three fishermen, bring them back. Everyone is uninjured. And aren't we glad for EMT people? If I fall through the ice, I hope they're near me. And Sherry, I hope you send them quickly. And isn't it the case that all of us need support as we move through our lives? Uh, we may not fall through the ice, but we are faced with other kinds of problems, and we need help. The psalm that we just read speaks to us of the Lord's help, which is far uh, beyond anybody falling through the ice and the immediate needs that they might have. And he has promised wonderful things for us in this section that we just read. So if you could turn to your Bible, uh, Psalm 23, it's a short psalm, just six verses. And we're going to look at it this way. We're going to spend some time thinking about the structure of the psalm. The reason being, uh, the writer communicates to us in the way in which he designs what he's written. After we have uh, looked at its structure, then the next thing we'll do is we'll talk a little bit about the confidence that flows out of this psalm to us. And then we'll end with some uh, suggestions for how you might apply this in the week that's ahead. So Psalm 23, what do we know about it? It's attributed to David, the shepherd boy, and the second king of Israel. It has been long studied by theologians, teachers, preachers, seminarians, linguists, freelance writers, deathbed counselors, spiritual shepherds, and yes, literal shepherds. And their approaches, well, they're about as varied as the number of people that study the psalm. The short verses are both simple and somewhat confusing. How so? Well, for example, how many main figures are in this psalm? Is there one, the shepherd, or two, the shepherd and a host, or three, the shepherd, a host, and a guide. It's a little puzzling at times. This is to say there's been lots of ink spilled on these short six verses. So how is it designed? Well, if you look at verses 1 and 2 and verse 6, they seem to function as bookends to what the writer has to say. How so? Well, the Lord is my shepherd. We hear at the beginning, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, we find at the end. Verses 1 and 2 are balanced by verse 6. The Lord's my shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. And the point? Shepherds take care of the needs of their sheep, like you and me. Uh, the Lord's interested in his people. And then we go to verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the point here is simply this. Under the Lord's care, I'm covered for time and for eternity. Now, if you look at verses 3 and 5, you'll see that they are similarly balanced. Verse 3, he restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, when I'm down, you lift me up. And then verse 5, uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Or, as someone has written, uh, when I'm dry, you fill my cup. Or we might cast what we've seen so far like this. The psalm begins and ends with statements about God's care for his own. Verse uh, 1 and 2, the Lord gives us complete provision. And then verse 6, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Continual provision, however you want to cast it. Complete provision, continual provision. That's what the Lord does for his own. And then if you look at verse 3, you see the Lord giving us purposeful restoration. Uh, he restores my soul. And that's coupled with verse 5, purposeful renewal. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. And so what it seems like is that the author balances one idea as over against us, uh, over against another, so that he drives home the point, the Lord is for you. We've been working our way from the outside in, verses 1 and 2 and 6, and then 3 and 5. Um, what's at the center? And you know often writers in the Bible make the center point the main point. Well, verse 4. No fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Imagine the worst. Uh, imagine walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I've been around people in their dying moments, and it is very unpleasant. It's not that I wouldn't want to be there. If somebody is dying and they want me there, I want to be there in the worst way. But it is agonizing. But think about your own death. Even in that eventuality, 
The Lord has you covered. That's what the psalm writer is saying. Even when there seems to be no hope, no way out, even when everything appears to be one big mess, the Lord is a faithful shepherd. Now, people who study this psalm say that this idea of no fear being the center point uh, comes to us from a structural point of view, from a textual point of view, from a thematic perspective, from a rhythmic vantage point. No fear. So that's the structure of the psalm. Uh, now we want to ask ourselves, what's the confidence that comes out of it to the people of God? Uh, at a friend's funeral a few months ago, I learned just how much this psalm had helped him. His name was John. Uh, as a young man, he lived with an awful sense of guilt and an accompanying fear of death uh, and of God's judgment. And this is what he wrote about that background experience. As a grown man, I was terrified, afraid to go to bed at night, lest I would die in my sleep and go straight to hell. I often found myself crying so hard I would drift off to sleep on a tear-soaked pillow. Well, a friend came to him and said, John, why don't you read the Bible? And he did. He read it multiple times, uh, cover to cover. And uh, as he's reading, there is one thought that kind of jumps off the page at him, and it's right here in Psalm 23. Verse 3 says, He restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And eventually, as he worked through those ideas, he got the picture. This psalm is first and last about God. It gives us a picture of him. He's in the business in this world of making his name great. You want to know what's going on right now between Russia and Ukraine? God is making his name great. I don't know how, but I can trust what he says here in his word. And then John also came to understand that uh, it's about a relationship, a personal relationship between God and those who trust in him. The Lord shows off his grace and his power in the lives of his people, and he makes them like him. He leads me in paths of righteousness, God's righteous, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, that idea runs all through the Bible. And it's important, I think, as we imagine God's work to conform his people to his image, I think it's important to remember some contrasts. Here's one. The Lord does not save some people and not other people because he judges those he saves as somehow better. He saves people because they deserve his judgment and they need to be saved, and he does it simply out of his free grace. 
Nor does God save people through their own self-help efforts. Now, imagine he did. What would that do? Promote pride in us, right? Look what I've done. The Lord does not save people through the mechanism of their self-help help efforts. He saves them supernaturally by his Holy Spirit from the inside out. He gives his people new hearts, and out of those new hearts, they gladly give themselves self-sacrificially, we might add, to serve him. And over the course of their lives, as they die more and more to self and live more and more to Christ, they become more and more like him. And let's also say that God does not save people so they can pat themselves on the back for a job well done. He saves them so that his name might be great in the earth. And he makes them a light in a dark and needy world like the one in which we find ourselves. Uh, and among people like needy people like you and me and others in Berks County and across the United States and yes in Ukraine and Russia and China and Afghanistan. Psalm 23 says he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you're with me. Now do you get the connection here? God exercises power to save his own in time and space, they turn in faith to him, he works new obedience in them, and little by little he conforms them to the image of Christ. Conformity means growing in a love for what Christ loves. Conformity means trusting God's word and that's exactly what happened in my friend John's case. Once he was terrified to go to bed at night. The Lord took that away. Once he'd cry himself to sleep, afraid he was going to face eternal death. But that was gone too. And you see, this must be so. There's something at stake in the world much, much bigger than John's tears or fears or yours or mine. And that bigger thing, the display of the glory of God. He has promised to show forth his glory. It must be so. He will keep his promise. So just listen again. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Reflecting on that, John wrote these words. As I pen these words, I am very aware of the imminence of death and judgment. And I do not fear. I know that at that time there will not be a sinful John. Nor 
Will my brother and sister Christians be any more sinful? Aren't those wonderful words? When I face death, when I pass into eternity, there won't be a sinful Jonathan. Are you walking with the Lord? Is Christ your Savior? Then the promise is to you. When you pass into eternity, there won't be a sinful fill in your own name. All brothers and sister Christians will be delivered from sin. Well, we've thought about the structure a little bit, which then leads us to this word of confidence, and now we ask, well, what do we do with this? New week that's coming up. How can you make the most of this word from the Lord? Well, first of all, let's say it this way. Wherever your spiritual journey has taken you, and I'm not presuming anything, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, Christ offers his word of grace to you freely. Uh, for example, Isaiah chapter 45. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Or um, how about Acts 16, 31? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Or how about uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart... Man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And you see, you don't have to wait until you're better either. You can come to the Lord just as you are in all your confusion and brokenness. He will save you. He must do it because he has promised to his people, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so, this is your moment to say yes to Christ's free invitation. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to as many as believe on his name. So, that's one no-fear application. You can come into the Lord's presence right now, and he'll receive you gladly. Here's another one. Unless the Lord returns first, you're going to die, and I'm going to die. Psalm 23 offers a takeaway for between now and then. This is a poem. It's a song for a time like ours. Uh, God's faithfulness is... To us, a call to live confidently in a world that's filled with uncertainty. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a truth worth preaching to yourself, isn't it? My suspicion is that this week you'll bump into some rough spots and it'll make you wonder, what is life all about and where am I? And this is the time to preach. The Lord is my shepherd. And then one more. Psalm 23 seems to come to us out of a sense of having been delivered from uh, ruin, 
and it flows over into glad song. As such, it seems like it's an acknowledgement of God's goodness and his greatness. And it seems like, because it's a song, that it's appropriate to take these ideas of God's goodness and greatness and make them known among those with whom you have contact. And so here's one other takeaway. View Psalm 23 as your cue. When you're grieving or confused or afraid, keep in mind God's commitment to you. And because of Christ and through Christ, you're now held securely in nail-scarred hands. This is the best news worth singing about. You know, when we put up uh, songs that we're going to sing, it's because we have a contract that allows us to use words that are... um, copyrighted. And we have access to, I don't know, around 100,000 different songs. Um, did you know, uh, we did a little search last night, did you know there are over 1,000, I think over 1,100 songs that somehow reference Psalm 23? So imagine that you were just to work through the list. You would have plenty to sing about over the next few days, weeks, months, years. Well, And we want to give our best singing to the Lord when we're here. But we also want to give our best singing to the Lord during the week. I wonder, are you singing during the week? It would be appropriate for you to sing Psalm 23 or one of the other 1,100 versions of it. Remember our old friend Martin Luther? He really struggled with his faith. And the the storyline goes something like this. He's in the monastery. He goes and he confesses his sins to a priest. And then after he's finished with that confession and he's walking back to whatever he's going to do next, it dawns on him that he has forgotten to confess some other sins. I suppose that would be true for all of us, right? You know, we think we'd probably never run out of things where we'd be able to admit our deficiencies. Well, that's what happened with Luther. And so he'd turn around and go back to the priest and say, well, I left a few other things out. And that happened repeatedly, and finally the priest is really irritated with him. And so he says, Martin, why don't you go do something like this? Go commit some horrible sin and then come back and confess it to me. And um, Martin got to understand, he came to understand the gospel. In the middle of his angst, he he comes to saving faith. He understands that salvation is by faith alone, not by works. It's by grace alone. And so he writes these words, which we have come to love. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph Through us, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. One little word. God is about the business of glorifying his name 
in your life for his name's sake. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that Psalm 23 might be emblazoned on our consciences and, our con and, and kept in our minds. Help us to preach regularly that you lead us in paths of righteousness, that our own righteousness is only because of what you've done in us. Help us to give you all the praise and glory for this amazing grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.